This is Michael, you're listening to Models of Masters, and I'm so grateful you're here. I'm breaking down personal stories, learned wisdom, and pieces of insight I hope can help you along your journey. Head over to my website, michaelbecker.org, for much more. And with that, let's get right into the show. guys so just wanted to provide a little bit of background and context on today's video before we get into it and so this is actually the second business workshop that I did with Haley McDonald who is a fellow marketing consultant she invited me to come on to her LinkedIn to join her for this live workshop and we're breaking down a fit tech business today and we're gonna go through the three challenges that this business is facing and then talk about a few ways that they could solve for these challenges and specifically, we are going to chat on AI and how this business and others like it could and should be looking at incorporating automation, machine learning, and artificial intelligence into what they do to better serve their customers. We're also going to talk about ads and attention and the best way to kind of think about that mix of where your customers are and how to reach them. And then maybe if the ads that you've been putting up are not working, some different ways to think about what you could be doing. So without further ado, we will jump right into it. This is me and Haley McDonald talking on a fit tech brand that is looking to scale, improve their ads, and increase their user network. Um, so the business that we're talking about today is a small fit tech or fitness tech company. And they created a personalized fitness platform that uses machine learning, AI basically, to create custom workouts, motivation reminders for its users. And so that app takes into account like their fitness goals, their experience level, and it basically creates a plan for them that is over the long term, hopefully better than some of the other apps out there that could be, uh, you know, you try it for two weeks and then you're done with it. But they've been in business for three years. They have 20 employees and their average yearly revenue is 3 million. And their target market, currently is obviously one, people who are interested in getting in shape, but the age range is about 25 to 44, evenly split between men and women. And they're mainly targeting urban areas. So not necessarily city, but also not necessarily like rural towns. Mm -hmm. um, and their average, their target audience's average annual income is around 50,000. So that's a, a unique thing that we haven't really talked about before as far as one of the businesses, their target audience's average income. So that'll be something interesting to touch on for today. Yeah. Yeah. The three main challenges that they're facing right now is one competition. So the fitness app market is very competitive. There's a ton of other fitness apps. And so right now they're struggling to be able to stand out. The second thing is staying up to date. So Fitness app market's always changing, right? New fitness trends are emerging all the time. So they want to stay up to date with all of the new stuff that's coming out so that they can better their product and better their marketing. And then the third thing that they're struggling with is paid advertising. So they've tried running paid advertising campaigns on like Google, Facebook, um, but in their words, had not been very successful. And so the return on ad spend seemed to be all over the place. And so some campaigns were profitable, others broke even or went negative. And so as a result, they just stopped running paid ads altogether to take a beat. Main goal, they would want to be the number one fitness platform on the market. And eventually they want to leverage their platform to be able to get like influencers turned into 
AI like personal trainers so that you could get trained by your your favorite political figure or like celebrity like whatever you want uh, which I think That's is pretty cool. interesting and neat yeah so are you ready to jump into some solutions and dive in yeah th this is going to be an exciting space for them to be in over the next decade they're in the very beginning as well so I think they have they have a huge upside so yeah let's let's dig in yeah, they're in like a really good time period to be launching something like this. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's the first inning in a, a very, very long game. Yes, a very long game. So the first problem that they have right now is obviously the competitive aspect of the industry and the market that they're in. There's lots of other apps available. They're trying different things like social media, explaining their different features to say, hey, this is what makes us different. Um we, we play the long game with our clients. We don't want to just have you use the app for two, three weeks or months and then dip out. And they have also tried partnering with influencers to be a part of it or creators, uh, but no significant bites yet. They didn't necessarily expand on if that was to be on the platform or as a part of a marketing strategy, um, just shouting it out. So initially, what are your thoughts on being in a competitive space in general, but especially the fitness app space? And how to stand out from that. The first thing that that comes that comes to me around this, Haley, is you know, like like we were just discussing, we're still in the, the very, 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 very early stages when it comes to, to AI in general, and obviously having application for so many different industries, fitness, of course, being one. But it's almost like don't rely on the AI to make or break your business or your app right now. I would leverage it, and I don't know how intertwined they already are with you know, automation and, and using ML and AI inside of the app. But if it's not the core functionality, in other words, if your core transaction isn't dependent on using AI in some way, I would look to integrate it, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't make it the main thing. I would focus more on creating a good customer experience and focusing on getting your acquisition in shape, you know, over the next couple of years while AI comes into maturity. And as you guys look to, to continue to grow and, and partner with it and learn the use cases that you can use around that. But, you know, just kind of zooming out, you can kind of do two things here. You, you can do the same thing as all of the other dozens and dozens of apps out there, but do it a little bit better, or you can be different. And if you have that competitive advantage and AI is a part of that for you guys, if you're already advanced there, is there any other mileage that you can get out of that? In other words, can you use it to, to, to divert from the pack? You know, can you create maybe monthly recaps for each of your users that are automated? Can you create some kind of virtual coaching, you know, VIP room maybe where you can have a bot that responds to and prompts inquiries from your users. So there might be some opportunity there. Um, so that's my initial thoughts, Haley. Yeah, those are all fantastic. And I think what you had said when you were touching on the experience that people have using the app, I think right. that's huge. If it's either complicated to use or in any way, any way, shape or form, there's there's friction when using the app, whether it's you know slow and it's like tech related or it's just UX, user experience related get those kinks worked out because 
it's all about simplicity. And especially with something that already takes a bit of friction for people to continue doing like fitness, like, okay, I'm going to have to work out every day and eat in a certain way and all that stuff. It's a lot of change happening for that person at once. And so getting in the mind of your core client is like, okay, how can we make this fitness experience, not just the app itself, Mm -hmm. as frictionless and easy as humanly possible? And I'm not a tech wizard by any means. So you probably have more experience in like the back end things that they could do like the applications or features that they could integrate in there. But I liked what they had said in the beginning about creating some sort of AI coach, right? Like somebody who's uh, emulating a figure that you admire and then being that accountability system for you, being the person who's like training you and sharing that future vision. So sharing where you want to go, because I I personally haven't heard of something like that. I'm sure that the idea is already out there, but if you can share that and share the really big vision for the future, like 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the line, Mm -hmm. then build that out publicly. So like share it and then start sharing what the heck you're doing to make that vision a reality. Um, I think that will also help you stand out from the competition and also make people realize you're serious. We're not just going to be some fly-by-night like, uh, fitness app we plan on being here for a long time and it sounds like the brand itself could branch out into other areas that aren't just an application so if that's the case share that widely uh, on social media build a really big brand around that and changing the fitness space to integrate with ai in general and then i think you will naturally stand out from the competition mm-hmm. but there's a lot of you know interesting partnership opportunities here as well you know how can you possibly form strategic alliances with, I'm just thinking off the top here, but like yoga studios, yoga companies, um, different, different complementary, you know, healing or wellness or fitness type companies, even stores like a Whole Foods on a large scale, for example, where you can add value to them in some way by integrating maybe healthy meals or something to that extent within the app. And, you know, bring even just a couple of those types of vendors on board to help as you start to to scale out your atomic network, I think is huge. And the other thing before I forget is, you know, download all of your competitors apps and start using them yourself, like personally, and just start taking note of the nuances that they're using with particularly with their automation or the AI that they're integrating in their app. And all you really need is you know, you don't need to go overboard, but four or five of your competitors, download the app and then start backtracking in terms of looking at where you discovered them, where, where you are, can go to learn more about them and follow them, where are they acquiring their customers? Is it Facebook? Is it referrals? And then after you do that, figure out, okay, what channels are they on and where, where can we own where there might be gaps there? And so, um, that'll let you really start scooping up market share in an intelligent way because you'll be you'll have intimate knowledge of what your competitors are doing. And then you'll also be able to to scoop into those channels where maybe they're not. Yeah, I love that. That's huge. And to add on what you said about downloading their apps and checking them out and playing with them and taking notes on what is great, what is not so great, what you could add on to or make better. So look at all of their reviews too. look at their five star reviews, their three star reviews and their one star reviews. You can see the things that are like suck essentially with the app, your competitors app. You can see the things that are average, right? And then you can see what makes it really, really good for certain people. And take notes on on what 
common uh, points of entry is like for each type of review, the, the medium, the average, or excuse me, the low, the average, and the high, and then integrate that into whatever else you are noticing when actually using the app. Because we're always a little bit biased, and I think that when you're an expert in an industry and you go look at your competitors, you're like, oh, that's maybe so simple that you wouldn't even think of doing it, right? Or it's easy for you to use because you're in the tech space, but for some lady who's like 43 years old and just has a couple kids and like works at the farmer's market, maybe she's not into tech as much as you are. And so for her, the features are hard to use. And you'll only really understand that is if one, you beta test, right? Like on your own stuff, but the easier way is just looking what other people have built and then seeing what they view as you know hard to use through bad reviews. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because like this market, there's always going to be demand for health and fitness in general. And that's a good thing because there's lots of fish in the sea that, that they are swimming in and lots of fish with lots of sharks is better than not enough fish and lots of sharks. Right. And so, you know, there's a market for what you provide. If you assume that there's going to be, I don't know, 25 to 50% attrition among your, your total adjustable market from those other brands, which maybe that's Maybe that's a little too much. Maybe that's not enough. I don't know the exact numbers, right? But where can you slide in, provide value, you know, start targeting and retargeting those people that maybe are lapsing from those other apps? There's there's a big opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I had one other note, and I don't want to spend too much time here so that we can make sure we get to the other ones, but it was a little Alex Hormozy trick, basically, of like whatever other people are charging for in their apps, do that and make it free because it's going to be infinitely more value immediately created if some of the features that are normally paid for on other apps you just make three free so on my fitness pal you know you have to pay for the premium to scan the thing and it uploads all your calories and blah 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 well have that make it free and yeah. eventually if the free thing is really good enough then people are like wow what else can i get when i pay x amount of money so wanted to make sure that was in there as well anything you'd add before we move on to the next one michael Totally agree. I mean, and not to mention the goodwill that do, offering those free features that other companies are charging for will will do for your brand in the long term. So that's a great, great, great add on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the second challenge that they have is that the industry they're in, fitness in general, but especially fitness and technology, trends like it's constantly changing everything's emerging new things are emerging all the time so they want to stay up to date they have followed their competitors on social media that's about the extent um, besides maybe general research obviously when building the technology of what is available and out there and what is trending um, my immediate thought was not only look at your competitors on social but like go follow tech creators, go follow tech influencers, maybe not people who are necessarily creating fitness apps, but just people in the tech world who are constantly talking about it and influencers in the fitness world. That way you can eventually blend them together so that you can see what's popular and keep up with what's going on and do it every day. Like my, what I say is, you know, when I'm in doubt about something, I observe and I just look at what other people are actually doing and um, creating my own essentially patterns of, okay, you know, this, uh, type of food, right? Like cottage cheese had a moment the other day or a few months ago. Right. So just observing different trends that are happening and how you can integrate that 
one with your socials, which is usually the easiest. But if you see like a big trend happening, then integrating that within your actual platform. I think when when I hear trends, and I think what what people really want, right? When 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 we use the word trend, is not really what's what's popular in the market or at scale. They want something that is new and personalized for them. And so that's how I think about application of trends. Yes, you want to be aware of what's happening in the market, but ultimately, and for users of an app like this, they want to cust- they want to feel like they have a custom plan. And so you can stay current with what other apps are doing where the market is moving. And you can create, even if it's the illusion of total customization within your app, why not create 25 or even 50 different fitness plans and nutrition plans, like load them into your neural network or your AI tool, and then tell it to assign those plans to this person or this plan to that person. Boom. Now it's personalized. It's still trendy and your customer still gets in shape. Um, So that's my thought around that. And the other thing, like if you want to stay up to date with trends and you want to show that in your brand is to start integrating UGC, which is user generated content into your marketing, like have your users share their variation of the workouts, have them use a, a hashtag, make a, you know, make a community out of it, have, have social start start blowing up and then sharing those unique takes of those trends with your database over email, social, in-app, like integrate those trends into some kind of a weekly um, or daily showcase of what your customers are doing. And so you don't have to be a responder. You can still be a trendsetter, but don't try to do what everyone else is doing. And don't try to do it yourself either. Look to your most valuable asset, which is your users, and have them help to create that for you. Yeah, I love what you, I mean, I love everything that you just said. And what made me think of this last portion is like, go to your users to be able to, to almost predict or create trends that they will actively use and enjoy being a part of. Because we can look at all of these global trends or social media trends on certain platforms. But if there, it's like an inside joke. Right? Like if you have a group of people or a group of friends and somebody says something funny and it turns into this like inside joke, it's like a trend within the group. And so if you can start to create that on your own, where, you know, I think even Duolingo has their own inside jokes and, and Scrub Daddy has their own inside jokes, like from the, the platform that they've created on social media, mm-hmm. they create these little funny trends and they're, but they're not really doing much different. It's just from what they're gathering from their audience of what they find funny, and then they just run with that. Um, And if you're talking about like resources, like where do I go? You know, I think everything that Michael said was perfect, because if you don't implement what you're seeing as trends, it really doesn't matter. And so integrating it is the more important part. But if you're like, okay, well, how am I even really knowing where the industry as a whole is going? Look at the top 100 apps every day, right? There's a lot of fitness apps on there. And so first of all, going back to what we said on that last challenge, which is look at your competitors, download their apps, look at their reviews, all that stuff, but keep track every day of those top 100 apps and see, you know, make conclusions yourself of why those things are popular. And then go, go on Google trends, search your industry terms, see what's trending every single day. And you will absolutely stay on top of, you know, upcoming news, resources, tools, all the stuff that's that's coming out. There's no lack of information around all of this stuff uh, in the fitness and tech industry. So as long as you know the tools and how to implement them, that's really all that matters. 
The other thing is like encourage your users to leave a review. You can create an in-app notification or a push notif where you urge them to leave a review in exchange for like a free piece of merch, like a hat or a t-shirt or something, and then start putting together a way to review and to make sense of that qualitative data that you're going to start collecting. And you'll start to understand that the actual trends that you're that your users are looking for, what they want to see reflected in the app too. Yes. And that will also, going alongside with personalization is what we were talking about earlier, is it will make them feel like they are part of the improvement process of mm. the app itself and the brand mm. itself. And people love that shit. Yeah. When they have a stake in it, then they are way more invested. It's like Build-A-Bear. That's why Build-A-Bear is super popular. Like building it along with the, the company uh, in a sense. And so um, that's, a, that's a really good addition there, Michael. Yeah. Cool. The third and final challenge that we're tackling is their paid advertising. So they've tried running campaigns on Google, haven't been as successful as it sounds like they wanted it to be. And as a result, they were like, this is too complicated. I'm stopping it all. They tried video ads and the video ads were them showing the product essentially, um, you know, screen share type of video ad. And then they ran a bunch of them, but they didn't really have a clear strategy from their words. Uh, I'll let you take a, a spin on this first because I'm interested in see what you have to say. Yeah, I actually have a few thoughts around this. So the fact that they're not seeing success yet with paid ads does not mean that paid ads are the wrong strategy for them. It just tells me that the ads probably weren't that good. Or maybe you didn't put enough cash behind them, right? We'd have to look at conversion rates and your, your CAC to understand that. Or maybe your audience just isn't receptive on Google and Facebook. I would guess it's more the first and last point. So the ad quality or the appeal that you're using and then the location where you've been looking. So what I would say around that, you know, is go for a different style, maybe a different appeal, for example, and start retesting on Google and Facebook with you know, a different, a different approach and see if that doesn't help a little bit. See if you don't get some, some traction there or switch where you're placing your ads and figure out where your target audience is hanging out. If 75% of your audience uses MindBody to book fitness classes, but they don't even have the Facebook app, there you go. If you know that they're on bodybuilding because that's where they go to learn about fitness and get inspiration and then maybe Pinterest or Instagram for 90% of their total time online, then you need to be running sponsored ads on bodybuilding and focusing exclusively on Instagram instead of maybe Facebook and Google. And so that's one consideration. I also think you can look at other marketing activities aside from paid ads. So you don't ever want to be reliant on one channel, paid especially. And so how are you guys using email? What about inbound, aka content marketing? And maybe even direct mail. Haley and I were talking about this tactic in our last live, and it could apply here because I doubt many other AI fitness apps are thinking about physical space. And so there's probably an opportunity there. Or how about stealing market share from current big box gyms? Like maybe you can bid smarter on Google. I don't know what keywords, you know, or where they're running their ads right now, but can you start bidding on Lifetime Fitness, LA Fitness, Planet Fitness, and stealing some attention and market share by, by those um, those types of campaigns. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Chef's kiss on those. And I really can only add a couple of things here because those are all really good strategies. And um, I think when it comes to paid advertising, when you were saying, okay, so I kind of 
most likely one of two issues going on where it's the wrong platform or place for mm-hmm. these paid ads, or it's that they're just not performing well because they're not resonating with your core audience uh, and the platform they're on. Because when you're on YouTube versus TikTok, you have sort of a different mindset as the user when you're on those platform. Um, one thing that you can do as far as the paid advertising goes is take your best performing content and put towards money towards that and see what happens, right? If you're creating new ads that the first time you're testing them is with money, um, you know, they may not go the way that you necessarily wanted them to, but if you base it off of what's already worked organically and you start putting money towards that or turning that into an ad, then that could help shine some light on who is actually taking action when they're seeing your ad. You you may get more clicks, but maybe you don't, you, you may get more information to tell you where people are falling off, right? Because if your paid ads are converting a lot of clicks, but then they're not turning into leads, you may not have an ad problem. Um, or if your ads are not don't have any clicks, but like the ones that they do, they're converting, then you know you have maybe a creative problem like with the image or the caption on there. So I would say start with taking your organic content, putting money towards that and see what happens. And then I'm a big proponent of when you can advertise or if you have the budget to do this is cast a super wide net, like split test everything that you can imagine. Create like 40 different variations minimum, if you can, of these different types of ads and start to test the same creative with different captions, you know, different creative with the same captions, different call to actions, and create as many of those as you can. You will get a lot of data very quickly. You Mm -hmm. may lose some money in the beginning, but if you're able to reinvest in the next batch of split tests where it's like, okay, this type of creative that was just a screen share with the call to action saying, join now didn't work. So we're not going to run anything that has that. But this group where it was had, you know, an actual AI generated trainer telling them something on the screen. And then the call to action was find my trainer now, like those ones performed really well, start to create more like that. So I'm a big proponent of casting your net wide, trying a bunch of different stuff, gathering all that data, and then using that to create new ones. Um, one other thing, too, is the where the attention is. Google, Facebook is great. You may want to also try YouTube ads. Like There's really good targeting, and the customer intention on there is I typically want to learn something or or, or gain some value here. So if you can run your ads on YouTube over these fitness creators, over, um, you know, there's just some really good targeting in YouTube. You may have better luck converting some of those viewers into actual clicks and leads. Yeah, especially partnering with with influencers or affiliates that have large YouTube presences who are in your in your space would be a really interesting experiment. Yes. Yeah, you could there's infinite ways that that you could uh, leverage other creators and other influencers and I'm the biggest proponent of that. I really think that that will get you a lot further and, and it will expand you into other audiences a lot quicker than just paid advertising itself right. um, with no influencer or content creation with no user generated content. One Anything last, else? Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Just to put a cap on this. One final thing is when you look at how you differentiate you talking to the, the brand in this case, how you differentiate from like a physical gym and thinking about their constraints versus yours, 
an in-person gym is going to be very capital intensive on the back end, meaning after they acquire a new a new client or customer to the gym, they have to continue to spend money to onboard them and maybe to train them to continue to keep them there, right? It requires personnel to actually be at the gym to, to run it. And so they're going to have more expenses on the back end and after people join, whereas it's going to be flipped for you guys because you have no incremental cost to onboard or to enable access for a new customer. So theoretically, you could have infinite users on your app and it's going to cost you comparatively little to keep them around other than maybe the operational expenses of keeping your app going and adding new products and features here and there. And so I would continue, like Haley said, casting that net as wide as you can and experimenting until you find what works to acquire a customer for you guys. And once you find that that combination or those permu- that right permutation of different a few different tactics that works, that's where you're really going to hit scale very, very quickly. And you're not going to have any major constraint once you're able to figure out how to how to build your your network. Yeah, hundred percent. Mic drop. <laughs> so it is Q and A time. That was our uh, last challenge that we we went through, and we dove pretty deep on each one. Actually, um, yeah. time flew by. I didn't even realize. Yeah. But we have. I'm sifting through to see because there's a lot of comments in here, which is great. Thank you, guys. I'm trying to make sure that I get the actual question you're asking. So let's see. Fitness is a crowded space. Focus on the differentiator with huge perceived value. And then this person's idea was combining fitness with sports. What do you guys think? So as far as if I'm understanding you correctly, like being a differentiator could be instead of just fitness as personal training, you know, hitting the gym, working out at home, let's say, combining it with sports. That's interesting. It could be a community aspect, right? Where maybe they have a group that's in uh, a Facebook group or some, some something on the app where it's for folks who want to get together and play sports and the app tracks their calories and blah, blah, blah. And let's say the sport that you're playing, you know, maybe it's football or whatever, they'll beef up your your meal plans and your workout plans to change them into what muscle groups or what exercises would enhance your skill in that sport. I don't know. That could be interesting. Uh, what, what do you think, Michael? I would maybe look at integration opportunities again with partners, but I think when it comes to fitness and sports, people want what they want and they want a specific app for a specific purpose. I'm thinking of an app called uh, Runtastic, which I believe was acquired by Adidas a few years ago and others like this. That's a, that's a pure running app. That's what it's for. And so I'm inclined to push back a little bit on that just because I think the space is so saturated. I think if people want someplace to track sports or to find others to do sports with, they're going to find it on an app that's designed specifically for that. And so I would say go more narrow than wide in that regard. That's my, that's my inclination. Yeah, I tend to agree. I I think that most people just want the thing that it was built for, not necessarily trying to have everything all in one space. A lot of stuff can get muddled. It's like do one thing and do one thing really, really well. Exactly. Um, Let's see. Mishari and Vivek are just having like a full-on conversation in the comments. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Gamifying. That's interesting. 
Yeah, there was uh, one. It wasn't necessarily a question. It was, it was more of like, a, what do you guys think as well as AI is at a very early stage, doesn't have too much perceived value. I'm not sure. Um, what do you think about that, Michael? You're a little bit more in the AI space than I am. I think it's about how you wrap up your tool or your technology around the AI. For example, you know, you can build any anything on OpenAI, and you can increase its value probably by orders of magnitude if you can create something that works and that the the, the market wants within that realm. Um, without being super technical or actually being inside of this tool, I can't say exactly how they're using it again, but. You know, I think, yeah, we're still in the, the early the early stages for sure, but there's also an arbitrage opportunity for brands that actually can use AI to create real value. For example, if they have a chat feature where their users can ask a quick question and they can get a response that's tailored for them based on their context and their history in using the app, and they can get it within three seconds after submitting that instead of waiting for a human, like that's a pretty big value add. So it just depends how they're using it. Yeah, I definitely think it depends on the application of the AI product and does it really make our lives easier? And if so, I think that that is really valuable. Um, anything that makes our lives a little bit faster so that we can do whatever we want to do and spend time with the people we want to spend time with, that's a value. Um, if it makes a task easier or automated so that you don't have to pay somebody else twice the amount of money to go do the same thing, that adds value as well. So I think that with everything that is currently trending or, or comes to trend in the future or has been trending in the past, there's always a little bit of, for lack of a better word, controversy on whether or not it's really as valuable and as cool as everybody says it is. Uh, there's usually pros and cons to everything. And so I think that the perceived value is high, but I think that it's high for a good reason. So, uh, yeah, that's what I think. And then I did have a couple of questions come in while we were prepping for this past week. So we'll answer one of those, too, and we'll wrap it up with that. Um, I have, like, two, so maybe if it goes really well, well, we'll do that. One person said, I have a sustainable fashion business providing custom thrifted outfits to customers and creating styles and wardrobes for them. I want to know what the most important marketing channels are for my business. Mm. Yeah. So fashion business, custom outfits wants to know what the most important marketing channels are for them. Mm. I would definitely look at Pinterest. I would also look at TikTok. Those are the two that come to mind immediately for me. Pinterest and TikTok. Yeah. yeah. I think that those channels are, really vital for the for the fashion industry um instagram maybe but I, and i think if you want to be maybe an early adopter of one you can try youtube shorts as well but tiktok probably the best and maybe you're already on it right so look at your numbers on all the platforms again like we said with advertising cast your net wide if you're able to and then see what performs well so you could try every single platform if you wanted to and yeah. then see which one is responding best. So it, it really depends on your audience. But I would say for, for rule of thumb, yeah, TikTok, Pinterest, maybe YouTube shorts, you know, have a pretty Instagram. Something else that comes to mind too real quick is with her, like, I don't know what her business model is. And if she just wants her website 
to be the sole destination for her DTC business. But there's probably an opportunity to create an Amazon store. Let's be honest, probably 90 some odd percent of the consumer base today is going to Amazon to, to buy. Um, so I would, I would probably be there at least if she's in the initial stages of her launch. And I would look to drive as much business as you can through that channel because you can't really ignore it, to be honest. You have to be there um, if you want to scale and grow quickly as an e-com brand, but then start getting those customers into your ecosystem with a newsletter and across social and bringing them back to your website um, for those second and repeat purchases. Yeah. And I don't know if you have any sort of subscription model that might be something interesting to look at. And if you do, you know, Shopify is a good option for that. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. So I think that those are great places to start. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, gosh, I'm like choking on camera. Yeah, I'm good. I'm like swallowing my own spit or something. Okay. So the uh, third question is, sometimes I'm unsure if the marketing tactics I'm using are effective enough. My business is growing, but I know it could grow faster. I want to know how I can get feedback on my marketing and advertising campaigns. What are your initial thoughts? I mean, where where are they advertising? Again, like there's so many dependencies. Like without knowing that, I mean, you could you could ask your customers at point of purchase or on that conversion page, where did you find me or where did you hear about us? I know brands do that um, before purchase. You could um, also include mousetraps, better mousetraps on your website, which means conversion boxes basically where it's almost like a fail safe if people land. Um, and they're not buying for whatever reason, and you're wondering if it's your ads, it might not be. It just, it might be that they don't have a reason, they're not captivated to stay or to continue searching. Um, so it's, but again, it's hard to say without knowing your business and where, where you've been advertising. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to add on to what Michael's saying too, is like data is feedback, you know? Yeah. So if you're looking at the data, that is, that is feedback. And if you're asking more so like, can somebody look at my campaigns and tell me, know what I can improve on if you start building a network of people in your industry or in your space who also have ties to the marketing space and you start to build relationships with them um, I'm sure they would be happy to take a look at a campaign that you ran and the data that you have with it and say yeah it seems like x y or z is something that you can change to improve upon um, so just get feedback from the people that you know as well or get feedback is as far as like getting them feedback from your friends and, and family. Now that could be a little tricky because most of the time they don't know anything as, as far as the, the marketing or business aspect goes. However, from a user experience point of view, they can very much point out some blind spots that you may not have thought of before. Uh, Vivek said, as far as influencer marketing, which platform works better, Instagram versus TikTok. My immediate thought is going to be TikTok. Uh, there's a huge array of niches and they go really specific on TikTok. Mm -hmm. So depending on whatever your industry or whatever you're selling your product or service, there is an influencer or multiple, I should say, for that specific niche. So because of that, the, the audience can be um, maybe not millions, right? Let's say you're a small brand and you like, you're not going to reach out to this, 
you know, millions of followers person on TikTok. However, there's people with a significant following that are just bigger, bigger than yours. And you can also partner with them. They're micro influencers, whatever you want to call them. But there's plenty of them on TikTok that are willing to collaborate, especially. Um, and if you guys have a similar audience, you may just be able to collaborate. You might not even have to pay them to create content for you. But what are your thoughts, Michael? Here's what I'll add on to that. And I don't know if I told you this, Haley. I actually just sold my content brand that I've been creating for about three years on Instagram. And so every day since about 2019, I've been in the weeds on Instagram. And what I've noticed, in essence, it's sort of past its heyday in terms of organic discoverability. And what we're seeing right now, which is was not the case five or 10 years ago, is this huge divide where people with, say, 100,000 followers or more who are posting quality content but have those large install bases of people who follow them are going, they're the ones going viral and getting more followers. It's hard, it's becoming harder for people without that following or who are just signing up to build an account and to, and to get people's attention in stream in the highlights and in discover. And so with attention shifting, yes, from Instagram over to places like TikTok, that's not to say that TikTok is all upside. There's still downside, right? We don't know what's gonna happen with TikTok here in the United States, realistically. And with that uncertainty, you know, again, I'm not saying not to me on Instagram, I'm just saying to understand how, how attention is shifting and maybe how can you work with both of those channels for, for different purposes when you're looking to build your, your audience? Yeah, I'm glad you said that. Diversifying is really important. You know, putting your all your eggs in any one basket is most likely, like as a life rule of thumb, not always the best option. So if you can have a couple in different areas um, and have good relationships with influencers that are on multiple platforms, then you are decreasing risk, so to speak. And you're also reaching a wider audience because there's people that I follow on one platform that have a TikTok or vice versa, but I don't follow them there for whatever reason, you know? So that, that's something that to think about too is they may be on both platforms, but their followers may only be on one. So you might as well hit them up when they're on both. And he just, he just added it's banned in India. That's a great point. And yeah. I the big opportunity for brands and creators right now that I'm seeing is podcast and YouTube. That's where I'm focusing and that's where I feel safest, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. And podcasts and YouTube are really unique in the sense that you're able to, for lack of a better word, like spend time with that person. And right. there's pieces of, you know, short form content is, is so popular because it's short form, right? But at the same time, Will it take a little bit more intent and, and friction for somebody to watch an hour-long thing or watch this whole live stream? Yes, but the people who do will absolutely come back. You know, yeah. So when you create this longer-form content, whether it is a podcast or something on YouTube or a series or whatever, then you're going deeper with your audience, right? It's like that classic marketing upside-down triangle. You've got your short-form stuff at the top, and then as people come down the funnel, they spend more time with you. So if you can create a way to duplicate yourself, but also spend as much time in a sense with your audience as possible, you will learn a lot about them. They will learn a lot about you. You're basically creating a relationship without ever meeting each other. So that's the most important thing. Yeah, there's more value to be had. And this goes for all the business 
you know, scenarios that we've been discussing today. There's more value in serving 50 customers or fans really, really well who love you and who want to be there and who are going to consume everything you put out than trying to, to build to tens of thousands of just followers and, and they're never going to do anything or take action. Mm-hmm. Vivek added, do you think people are more listeners than watchers? I don't know the data on that. It'd be interesting to, to know kind of statistically what people are. I really do think it's a toss-up, though. For me, I'm a watcher. I love to watch. Um, but if I'm watching, I can't do anything else because I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm too distracted. To, to I can't even clean or do the dishes or anything while watching something. I have to be listening to it. So I'm both, right? Uh, but with you, Michael, what do you prefer? It depends. You know, if what I like watching are sit-down in-person interviews, um, especially with people of of notoriety or celebrity, I like to see what they have to say and I like to watch them on camera. Um, that's just what I like though. You know, I am also an avid podcast listener and I tend to use podcasts, um, the app for, for listening for more like business, business and marketing shows that, that I subscribe to. So it just depends on the mindset and the mind frame that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it also is going to differ per audience, right? So your audience may prefer listening to stuff versus watching stuff. But now that I'm thinking about it as a as a whole, mm-hmm. I think people actually do prefer watching stuff just because we've got reality TV, you know, we've got movies, we've got now short form video, social media, everything is is people on camera. And yeah. I think that that makes sense that why most humans who consume any type of entertainment would prefer video. Uh, you just feel more connected to them. You know, you're actually watching uh, a person on the screen. So right. I don't know, maybe the data proves me otherwise, but I think it's a toss up and one of those things that you have to test. Yeah. Woo. Amazing. This was good. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. My book, Content Capitalist, is on sale now. Grab your copy by visiting my website or tapping the link in the episode description. I also just released the online learning portal, which expands on what I share in the book. This includes four hours of edited, captioned video tutorials and trainings, plus dozens of downloadables and templates. Between the book and the e-academy, you're going to be equipped to literally blow your revenue targets out of the water and eviscerate your competition this year, all by putting content at the core. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate, review, comment, and share all the things. And hit me up on LinkedIn if you'd like to connect. I am here to serve you. And that's it. I will see you in the next episode.